This morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 22, beginning at first verse, parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Thanks, David. Morning, all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word now, as always, we need your help. We need your help to understand it. And we need your help and your strength to apply it to our lives. And so for that help, we pray now. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, for those of you who are married or who have been married or who are planning uh, to get married, I wonder what the most difficult thing was in the lead up to that day. I think the biggest challenge for myself and Han was finalising the wedding list. It always seems to be the most delicate part of the the operation in the lead up to the wedding because you've got your core friends and family, they're bankers, they go straight in. And then you've got this big pool of people that you know from all the various walks of life But you've got X number of seats to fill. So at some point you have to work out who's going to get an invite to the full day and who comes along uh, to the evening gig. Now, of course, things get even more awkward when someone who was invited only to the evening do uh, turns up for the wedding breakfast itself. And that happened at mine hands wedding. I remember it vividly like it was yesterday. It was horrible. Uh, we were at, we, we were at the venue and we were, we were sort of welcoming people and you know how they come in, you welcome them to the venue. And I saw this lad called Lewis and his girlfriend join the back of the queue. And, and I looked at her and I said, they shouldn't be here. And there's that horrible sort of five minutes as people are filing in, you're greeting people and they're moving closer and closer to the front of the queue. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say to them? And in the moment I didn't say anything because I didn't want to embarrass them. But when everyone was in and everyone was enjoying themselves and they're they're about to take their seats, I've gone out to try and find Lewis and I've found him. And I said, Lewis, look, I'm I'm really sorry, but you shouldn't be here. And it's hard. 
And it was the last time we saw Lewis and his lady friend as they, as everyone else sat down for the food and the banquet, Lewis and his girlfriend took the walk of shame out of the venue. Horrible moment to tell somebody that. And no doubt it was a horrible moment for them as well. Well, in our parable today, we've got a similar situation. We've got a wedding feast that has been prepared for a prince, a banquet put on by a king for his son. The invites have gone out and the people have turned up. And just about, just as the party is about to begin, the king notices someone who shouldn't be there. And so he wanders over to him to confront him. And for this individual, it wasn't just a quiet walk, quiet word and, and a walk of shame out of the wedding venue. This individual was unceremoniously dragged away from the wedding banquet. As we read in verse 13, then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, this parable is ultimately about who will be in and who will be out on that final day. You see, for some, there will be dancing and celebration. For others, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Cash your mind back, if you would, two weeks ago when we were in in chapter 21. You may remember the growing conflict between the Jewish leaders and the Lord Jesus. Look at what we read at the end of chapter 21. The parable of the tenants. This is what we read as they, as they listened to Jesus speak when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables. They knew. They knew that he was talking to them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And then into verse one of chapter 22, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. You see, Jesus is still speaking to the leaders of Israel. And so what we have here is actually the third of three parables that Jesus directs to these increasingly hostile leaders. We've had the parable of the two sons. We've had the parable of the tenants. And this morning, we focus in on this third parable, the parable of the wedding banquet. And the question remains, how will these leaders respond to the teaching of Jesus. And of course it's the same question really for us this morning. How will we respond as we hear Jesus speak? As Jesus invades our personal space. As Jesus speaks into our lives. As Jesus holds us to account. As he speaks into our hearts this morning. How will we respond to the teaching of Jesus? How will we respond to the person of Jesus? Well, there's five main parts, I think, to this parable. And firstly, we have the banquet itself. Have a look at verse 1 and verse 2. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Here is the key to understanding this parable. The wedding banquet is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. And so to come to this feast is to enter the kingdom of God. It is to be in the presence of the king. It is to be under the loving rule of Jesus Christ. What we have here is a picture of of salvation, a picture of fellowship with God, a lavish banquet that has been prepared at great cost 
by the king himself. Ultimately, we've got a picture here of heaven. As one author put it, it is a feast of fat things. It's a lovely expression, isn't it? It's a feast of fat things because at this feast, no one will go hungry. At this feast, no one will be unsatisfied. Why? Because they will be in the presence of God and of his people forever. But I wonder in the busyness of 21st century life, how often do we slow down to feast on these fat things? It's what the Apostle Paul exhorts us to do in his letter to the Colossians, to to feast on the things above. Look at this exhortation to God's people. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, on the banquets, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, on this banquet and all that it entails, all that it will be, not on earthly things. If you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We're called to set our hearts and our minds on things above. We are called to hunger for the heavenly banquet. But of course, the more we nibble from the table of worldly pleasures that is before us now, the less we will hunger for that banquet in heaven. And sadly, we do a whole lot of nibbling today on empty things in this world that will never satisfy. But we nibble on those rather than hunger deep down for the heavenly banquet. We busy ourselves with the things of this world, with earthly things, sometimes at the expense of our fellowship with God. Friends, let us be a people who feast on fat things. Let us be a people who, who set our minds and our hearts on communing with God, on the things that are above. Firstly, we have a lavish banquet. Secondly, we have a wonderfully generous invitation. Have a look at verse 3 there on the screen or in your Bibles. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. You see, in those days, you wouldn't know the exact timing of the feast due to the nature of preparation. You had to wait until the calf was nicely fattened and and ready to be butchered. You couldn't just send out an exact time like we do today for a wedding invitation. So what you did was send out this this general invite in advance, almost like a a keep-the-date-free card without a date on it. There's something coming. There's a big celebration coming. There's a party coming, and we'll let you know near the time when everything is ready. And of course, that invite would have been pinned up on the, on the notice board in the kitchen or placed on the mantelpiece in the lounge until the final reminder came saying everything is now ready. And that's what we have in verse 3 and verse 4. We have the final reminder. Tell those, verse 4, who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Do you see the point? Everything is now ready, prepared. The band are playing quietly in the background. The table has been laid. The meal is prepared. The cake is on its stand waiting to be cut. And so the final reminder goes out. It's sent out. 
And that's exactly what lands on your lap this morning. It's there in front of you. An invite to the wedding banquet of the king. And the question for you is, will you come? Will you come to the banquet? Because you see, one day the doors will be shut. Right now, praise God, those doors are open. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has gone to the cross, set into the with sin, to bring forgiveness, to throw open the doors of heaven, to give us access into the very presence of God himself. His work on the cross is finished. It is done. Everything is ready. Nothing else needs to happen. It is ready. But the question remains, will you come? Are you willing? The Father is ready to receive. The Son is ready to pardon. The Spirit is ready to renew. The angels are ready to celebrate. And heaven is ready to be your everlasting home. All that is required is a willingness of heart. Now, of course, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over salvation itself. We see that in verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Yet a right appreciation of the sovereignty of God does not diminish our responsibility to respond today to this generous invitation of the king. We have a lavish banquet that is ready. We have a generous invitation to come through Christ to be a part of this banquet. But thirdly, we have a sad and a painful refusal, verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. Just not bothered, are they? They receive the invite. They know all about the banquet. That's not the issue. The issue is that they are far more concerned with their livelihood and with their occupation than they are with their salvation. And is that not the same today? People all around us preoccupied with house extensions and renovations, with progress up the career ladder, with academic achievement, with sporting success, and whatever else it might be. So many people are pouring so much of their life into ultimately meaningless things. Now, of course, these things are not bad necessarily in and of themselves, but when we pursue them with our hearts instead of pursuing Christ... They will leave us feeling ultimately empty. And sadly, that often happens at the expense of people's own salvation. And then we have a second group, look, in verse 6, whose reaction is more hostile. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. There's echoes there, isn't there, of the parable last week, the parable of the tenants that we looked at, sorry, two weeks ago. God, in his patience and kindness throughout the history of Israel, sent prophets to God's people to warn them, to encourage them, to hold out the promises of life before them. But those prophets were ignored, they were mistreated, and they were killed. And it is that same deep-seated opposition to Jesus that we see here in the Jewish leaders. They did not like the message 
And so they planned to get rid of the messenger. And it's no different today. When the gospel is upheld in the public square, when people stand on the word of God above all other things that has been spoken and voiced within culture, opposition will come in two forms. The freeze of apathy in verse 5 and the fires of persecution in verse 6. And in many parts of the world today, our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing the fires of persecution right now as we sit here in comfort. Right now, they're facing outward hostility to the gospel. You remember Open Doors a month ago came in and the stories, that's real. It was there in verse 6 in Jesus' day and it's real today in our world. In our context, I think it's a bit different. Things might change. But in our context today, the normal response, I think, is more like the freeze of apathy. A polite nod as people return to their daily pursuits, preoccupied with their occupation rather than their salvation. And you know what? Both those responses will hurt. They'll really hurt just in different ways. But if that's how we feel, how does God feel to this refusal of the invite? Well, the answer's there in verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Judgment will fall. Not just on the corrupt leaders, but on all who reject the gracious invitation of God. We have a lavish banquet We have a generous invitation. We have a painful refusal. And fourthly, we have a wonderfully gracious God. Have a look down at verse 8 through to 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. You see, Jesus came as a Jew, firstly for the Jews. That's where the invitation went to first. We read that, don't we, in Romans 1 verse 16. From not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to, to everyone, to all people. But historically, it came first for the Jews. But when they rejected God as their king. When they rejected the Lord Jesus, salvation was opened up to all people. And that's what's going on in verse 8 and verse 9. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited, the Jewish nation, did not deserve to come. They didn't deserve to come because they ignored God's king. And so the king says, now go. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. This is no longer a targeted invite to the Jewish nation. The invite has been blown open to all people. And that's why the king says, go to the street corners. Go to these key intersections of life. Go to the places where people gather. Go to the world. Be in the world. And tell this world how glorious that banquet will be. And that, of course, is the story of the book of Acts, is it not? 
and the ongoing story of the church, the good news of the gospel being proclaimed in the power of the Spirit to the very ends of this earth. It's gone out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and it's still going out today as people proclaim it on the street corners. And that's what's happening in verse 10. People from all nations are being gathered in. People are responding to this generous invitation. So the servants went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was full. It was filled with guests. Do you notice there in the middle of verse 10? Who was there? The bad as well as the good. Why? Because moral behavior is not what qualifies people for heaven. The deciding factor is how you respond to the person and work and words of Jesus Christ. Heaven will not be full of morally good or morally bad people. Heaven will be full of all those that have put their trust in Jesus. Then you see towards the end of verse 10. Notice that the banquet will be full. These are the words of Jesus. The banquet will be full. There will not be one empty seat in heaven. Instead, it will be bursting with the company of the redeemed. We have a lavish banquet. We have a generous invitation. We have a painful refusal. We have an incredibly gracious God who has thrown this invitation out to all people. And lastly, we have a timely warning, verse 11 through to 13. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendant, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the point in these few verses isn't that someone will sneak into heaven who shouldn't be there. It is a picture of those who think they belong at the banquet, but they don't. And they don't belong because they're not wearing the right clothes. Do you see that in verse 11? They've not got their wedding clothes on. So the big question is, what do those clothes represent then? What does it mean to be people who wear the right clothing? Well, there's two main views that have been held, which actually I think are complementary. The first one is that these wedding clothes represent the righteousness of Christ. It's what we sing, isn't it, in that great Wesleyan hymn, No condemnation, now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. When God looks at a Christian believer this morning, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus took our sin and he gave us his perfect righteousness. It's what we're known as the, as the joyful exchange. And only if we're clothed in the righteous perfection of Jesus Christ will we find our place in that heavenly banquet. There's a second view that sits alongside it, I think, that these wedding clothes represent a life appropriate 
to God's people. This is what Dick France says in his commentary. It was the claim to belong to the kingdom of God without an appropriate change of life which characterized Old Testament Israel and brought about its rejection. The New Testament people of God must not fall into the same error. Israel thought they were in the kingdom of God because their heritage, because they were born into the Jewish fold, because they kept a number of Jewish laws. But of course, there was no genuine faith. There was no sign of repentance. Hence the ministry of John the Baptist. He said, repent, turn back. There's nothing genuine. There's nothing in your heart. There's no evidence of salvation in your lives. There was no appropriate clothing that showed there was any real love for the Lord Jesus in their hearts. So which view is right? Well, I think it's both. I think they're complementary. I think the second one in its context is the one that is more in view. But both these views are about a genuine faith in Jesus in the heart, which leads to a changed life now. Our lives should be changed now. Appropriate clothing. And it also leads to being clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus because we trusted in his work at the cross. But you see, either way, there's no fool in the king, is there? No one else at the banquet challenged this man. But the king sees everything, not just our outward behavior, but our inward desires. And the consequence of being found without faith is there for all to see in verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's thrown outside the banquet excluded from the celebrations. He's now in the dark, apart from the light and the goodness of God, in a place of torment, which is graphically illustrated with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Nothing in life is more important than what you do with this invite. Nothing. Nothing can be more important than what you do with Christ and his offer of salvation to you. And the final challenge for the believers here this morning, do you see those servants in verse 9 and 10 who go out to the street corners to invite people in? That includes you. Because this divine invitation isn't just something to accept, it is something to share with this world. And we need to keep sharing it by the grace of God until those doors are closed and the wedding banquet is full. Let's pray as we finish. Father in heaven, how we thank you that through the Lord Jesus Christ, our great saviour, we have access to a banquet which our minds cannot conceive the joy of communion with Christ, of fellowship with our King, to be with him and his people for all eternity. Lord, thank you that you would, in your goodness, extend that invitation to each one of us sat in this room this morning. Father, how we pray for those who have refused and who continue to refuse that invitation. 
Lord, it causes us great pain to see people respond with apathy and with hostility to the gospel. How we pray for those on our heart right now that you would wake them up, that you would lift their eyes to to the fat things of this feast, to the wonders of what you have done, that they too might accept that great invitation to be at that wedding banquet. Father, we pray for your help in this work. We thank you for the warnings we find in here. We thank you for the promises that we find in here. And Lord, we long to take our seat to that table. And we long to see others there with us. We thank you that the doors are still open. We pray that your invitation would go out with power from this place. Help each one of us to be those people who stand on the street corners, whatever that street corner is for us, our workplace, our school, our college, our streets, and help us to hold out this invitation and speak to this world about the banquet above. So give us strength to be your people and to live your way in your world. And we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. But we've just uh, sang, haven't we, together as one King of Heaven. We will answer the call. We will follow bringing hope to the world. And the hope that this world needs is the gospel. And God has given us that gospel in the person and work of his son. It is the greatest invitation. And he's given it to us not just to accept for ourselves but to share with this world. And we will be those people in all our weakness, but we will be those people when we lift our eyes to the throne because this isn't something that we do in our own strength. It's something we do when we lean heavily on our great God. So let me finish with those words that I spoke during the service from Colossians chapter 3. And this is a call to the people of God. And this is the call. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. That is the finished work. Everything is done. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, promise, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen.